right into the message tonight and ask the Lord to uh, help us as we continue through this series on the church, a biblical model of a New Testament church. It's been awesome. It's been exciting. I've loved every minute of it. I wasn't sure about it when I started it. I've got to be honest and let you know that I was hesitant about how interesting I could make, uh, you know, messages regarding a new charter for our church. We're basically starting over after 22 years, and the differences that we'll have at our church will simply be that we have become more biblical. We've looked at the New Testament, and we have gotten more in line with Scripture. Here's what happened to us. Every church is different. But our church had some tradition. We had things that we were doing that we had no reason uh, in scripturally to give as to why we did certain things. So tradition had gripped us and was keeping us from certain things that we just uh, knew were in scripture, but we were avoiding. And so like a message tonight is part two of, of a subject that I've never preached on in 22 years. And so it's been awesome for me. I've enjoyed so much. Uh, studying the scriptures, especially these past couple of weeks, because this idea of church discipline is really not going to bring the crowds in. Can you imagine advertising on a flyer? Friend day, bring your friends to church. We're going to pack a pew. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be one of the best days we've ever had in our church, and our pastor is preaching on the great subject of church discipline. That's not exactly what you, when you want to invite your friends to come to church, okay? I know that. But we've made it fun. We've decided to go kind of with a backdoor entrance into this subject by saying this. If it's in the Bible, if it's Scripture, if it's best for us, even if it's, even if it's challenging to practice, and, 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 and even if these are hard conversations, if in the end we'll be a better church... I say let's become more biblical. Let's get in line with Scripture. Let's, let's do what God says to do. So that's what we're doing, and it's been fun, and I pray that you enjoy it. We've attempted to expose some of the misconceptions and false ideas of church discipline. We did that last week. But I thought you might enjoy seeing a small video on some of the misconceptions of church discipline. Sometimes it's good to know what church discipline is not before we talk about what it is. Watch this little short video. It's kind of funny. I think it is. Ma'am, thank you for meeting with us here today. We are uh, attempting to address the matter of church discipline. Who are you? That is not important. And we are starting with you in the case of you cutting off another person in traffic. I believe we have photographic evidence. Wait a minute. I don't remember cutting anyone off in traffic. And to be honest, this picture is kind of blurry. You're going to need to calm down. It is a little blurry. If you'll take a good hard look at this photograph, you'll realize that this is a photograph of you. All we're asking you to do is to confess what you did so this situation doesn't what escalate. What exactly do you want me to confess? We want you to confess All right, that you cut enough. this lady off in traffic. If you, it's simple. Wait outside. Ah! And calm down. Ma'am, I apologize for my partner. I can't control him. I'm going to need you to sign this full confession. Full confession? What does that have to do with anything? It has to do with your heinous sin. And I, this is probably just the tip of the iceberg. My heinous sin. And then we're going to open up a whole dossier Don't pretend on that cutting someone off in traffic oh isn't a sin. It's a horrible sin. Wait a minute. This does not look like me. Oh, it's you. Is that a mustache? A must- uh, 
does look, I thought it was lipstick, but now that she says Where it, did we get this photograph? Who it is this? It looks a little like you. Looks like me. You brought the picture in here. Where'd it come from? Where did you get this Off picture, Off your refrigerator? Lady? Wait a I minute. can't believe that my own partner... Don't you turn this up on against me. The wall. Don't you turn it. We can't just go out like you never cut somebody off. In the Look at my bag. I think you guys have this. I'm going to leave. All right. That's what church discipline is not, all right? It's not some sort of a police department inside the church that, that watches whether or not you come to a full stop at a stop sign, and we don't call heinous sin things that, uh, uh, like that. Anyway, I thought you might enjoy that. I didn't know if the, I don't know how many of you heard it, the volume wasn't as loud as I, I thought it was this morning, but I still kind of got the gist of it. So we've attempted to expose some of the misconceptions and false ideas, and, and, and I think sometimes it's good for us initially to understand that we don't need to be scared of something in Scripture. We, we just need to say, you know what, let's, Let's study together. Let's learn together what Scripture teaches us that church discipline is. And in the context of a loving community of faith, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. In other words, when church discipline is practiced in a loving congregation, it produces great results. It really does. Don't miss that. Because you and I need to understand that if it's good for our church, if it's going to be great, for our church to, under, to, to learn how, how to practice this properly, then, hey, let's, let's learn together. And there's no need in throwing something out because someone practices it in a wrong way if it's a good thing. There's a lot of good things that, that can sometimes be practiced in a wrong way. But we should never throw out the, the baby with the bathwater. Let's, let's remember that even though something is not being done correctly in, in certain venues, it, it doesn't mean that we, we need to exclude it altogether. So we can learn in Scripture how to scripturally practice church discipline. We started last, last week. We're going to finish this morning. Now, let me make a statement. And this is important, kind of a foundational thought. If we are left to ourselves, we will wander into sin the Christian life was not meant to live in isolation it was not meant to live in isolation you know it's easy to hide in a congregation and I understand our evening services uh, are a different crowd but a smaller crowd and so but this is still a, a big enough crowd to slip in and slip out this is a venue with a, pup, with a worship service, with a, uh, our, our Lord's Supper. There's a lot going on. Uh, and this is, this is not what I would consider a, a small group, you know. This is a, lar- it's a gathering. And this morning was a large gathering. We all came together and we worshiped together. But I can assure you that it, it, it wasn't an opportunity to share openly some things that maybe God is doing in our lives. And sometimes I feel as if, you know, we miss the, the, the positives of, of these new small groups that, that we're doing. And everyone in this building, please consider, if you're not in a small group, it's really hard. It's really hard to, to practice all of this and to understand all of this if all you're doing is coming to a public gathering. It's really tough. To go deeper in God's Word and to get closer to God's people, that's where small groups and that loving community come in. 
And we're so excited. It's so much better than what we were doing, tagging an hour before each service for something uh, that, we, that we used to call Sunday school, which was great while it lasted. But now that, that we've extended that, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's got so much more meat to it, and there's so much, there's more length to it. There's more fellowship to it. There's more love to it and care to it for the brethren. It's just a totally different way of approaching, caring, and loving one another. We have a tendency to sin when we are left on our own. Now, I know Christ has forgiven us and Christ has empowered us to stand against the wiles of the devil. I understand that. But I can tell you this for sure. There's too many times where, where I have failed and I have, I have fallen short. I have messed up and I have needed a brother or a sister to come alongside me and help me and encourage me to get that behind me and to keep on keeping on for Jesus. And so we want to review real quick here, and I'm going to be quick in this review. You'll notice we have four notes here from last week discussing approaching church discipline. And so I want you to see that, if you would. All of that we, uh, uh, that we studied last week was Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 14, and they discussed these four things. First of all, in order for church discipline to work, we need childlike humility. If you were here last week, you remember that. Jesus spoke of, uh, of someone who receives Christ must come like a child, must humble himself with childlike faith, right? Humility. In order for me to be corrected, I need to be humble. To receive correction is not easy. But if it's coming from somebody who's humble, it's a whole lot easier. Are you with me? It's a whole lot easier to receive correction from someone who loves me and who cares about me and who genuinely wants what's best for me than it is somebody that's, that's coming at me in my face, shoving it in my throat, telling me I'm a dirty, rotten, no good for... Am I right? Totally different. And so I can receive correction humbly when it's given in humility, and that's how it works. It's, it's humility that meets humility. And, and when those two things collide, it produces results. We need childlike humility in confronting one another with our problems. Number two... We need a deep concern for holiness. We talked about that. Remember, we talked about being serious about sin. You know, the Bible spoke of, you know, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Oh, I mean, you read that stuff and you're like, whoa, what in the world is God trying to say when he talks about plucking my eye out and cutting my hand off? It's simply this, church. Are you serious about sin? Are you serious about it? Because God has a lot to say about sin. And too often we have become flippant about holiness. And it's so important. Sometimes in the name of grace, we come to the table with the idea that, oh, it's okay, you know, everything, God loves you no matter what. And he does. But wait a minute, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? What about that? You see, let's not mistake God's grace for the importance of, of worshiping a holy God and becoming holy like our God, you see. Now, I know we've gotten, you know, sometimes we've, we've put extra biblical things and defined the holiness of God, and, and, and it, it has very little to do with, with the external because I've learned that when my, when my relationship with God, is, with God is right and when I am worshiping God in spirit and in truth, and reading my Bible and studying God's Word and coming to church and living in community, it's amazing how much cleaner my life is, you know. 
We must take sin very seriously. Number three, we need a compassion for the hurting. Remember in Matthew chapter 18, it gave us the parable of the lost sheep. And the, 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 the shepherd left the 99 for one. He was willing to risk losing the 99 just to go out and get the one. Illustration. You and I ought to be that concerned about our brothers and sisters in this church. It's, it, not, it ought not be when, when we hear someone has fallen away from God and they've left the church or they're discouraged. It ought not be that we say, well, we've got enough people here. We've got a pretty good crowd. Offerings are okay. Bills are being paid. Let them go. Uh, you know, you heard what they did anyway. They're worthless. They're no good. Hey, and we gossip about them and, and it makes it harder for them to ever come back because they're so ashamed of their sin anyway. God says, you've missed it. Church discipline is about going after that precious young man or young lady or man or lady or woman or boy or going after them and, and trying to get them back into church and into the small groups and into the fold, loving them, uh, confronting them with their sins, saying God loves you and he's got a better plan for your life and he's got a purpose for your life and, and you don't have to live in that and, and God's given you victory over that. That's what God says church discipline is all about. And when we approach church discipline, we need to have compassion for those that's, whose lives are messed up. Number three, we need forgiving hearts. Or four, we need forgiving hearts. I'm sorry. We need to forgive others as God has forgiven us. Amen? God has forgiven us of a whole lot. And who are we to not forgive someone else? We must forgive. That's a responsibility of all of us because we've been forgiven of so much, we must forgive much. And so with that said, as a foundation of how to approach what I'm speaking about tonight, let's, let's really look now at the meat of, of, this, of this truth. Ready? Matthew chapter 18. Here we go. Verse 15. I want you to see it, and I'd, I'd like for you to follow along with me in your Bibles. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 15. I want you to notice four specific things that are mentioned about how to apply church discipline. Four steps, all right? I'm going to stop each time I, I read a step. I'm going to say step one, and step two, and step three, and step four. Let's just read it. It's in Scripture. It's not Eric's words. I didn't add this to your Bible this week. This was here and has been here for a long time, verse 15. Moreover, step one. If thy brother shall trespass against thee, or shall sin against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Step one. Isn't that awesome? Easy? Simple? Sounds great. God's given me a plan here. That's the first step. Step two. Step two. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, no more than two, one or two, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Step three. And if he shall neglect to hear them, so he's neglected to hear the one-on-one the, the, the -on -one conversation, he neglected to hear the, the two or three that, that, that came to him with love and compassion, remember, humility, right? Now it says if he neglects to hear them, Tell it to the church. Step four. But if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and 
a publican. Wow. Now let's jump right in. Are you ready? Let's jump right in. Step number one. Let's, let's go back to step one. And uh, in, in your notes, step one is this. Private correction. Keep it small. Keep it really small. Private correction. One on one. My brother has offended me. Or I've offended a brother. Or whatever the situation is. Or somebody's in trouble. Somebody's in sin. I know about it. And the Bible says my first step is, is a private correction. Is to go to that person with this goal in mind. Galatians 6, 1 on the screen. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. Now, somebody who is spiritual, would you agree with me? They're not arrogant. They're not prideful. They're not going to go to someone, you know, I'm better than you. They're going to go to someone in love, right? Everything we're teaching is, must be done with the grace of God in mind. So I go to this man or woman, and here's my goal. Restore them. See it? Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. And here's why I'm going to be meek about it, because I'm going to consider myself, lest I also be tempted. Man, I've either been there, or I'm going to be there, and so I need to be humble about this thing, because, man, listen, but for the grace of God, there go I. We don't need to be too quick in pointing our fingers at someone else's sin. We need to approach them with love and compassion, but to restore them privately, privately. Now, this is where oftentimes we make a huge mistake. Jesus is saying, don't miss this. It's a paraphrase, but you've got to see it. Jesus is saying, don't go and talk to somebody else about your brother's sin. Isn't that true? Do you see that in in, in, in Matthew 18, 15? Don't go to somebody else and talk about your brother's sin. Let's be honest. This is the first thing we are prone to do. The first thing we are prone to do is go talk to somebody else about our brother's sin. Kind of like this. Hey, listen, I just wanted to make sure this was true. Listen, guys, don't look at me like you've never done that. You know, we do it. We think in sincerity. We do it. We think in, in love. We do, but it's prideful. It's prideful. It's arrogant. It's sin. It's sin to make that phone call. It's sin to make that text. Have you heard? I just, oh man, it's unbelievable. I just saw this on Twitter. I just saw this on Facebook. I just saw, it's unbelievable. Have you heard? What do you know about this? Hey, I don't mean to be nosy, but I just, you know, I I just, there's a few people I want to call. Jesus said, that is sin. Go to your brother. Scripture teaches in Ephesians 4, listen, this is the attitude we ought to have. Ephesians 4, I love these passages. Let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Let none come out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve God's Spirit by by allowing yourself to talk about things and people and situations that you have nothing to do with. Whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, let all wrath, Let all anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind, one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Isn't that awesome? It's great, isn't it? It's just so powerful. Our tendency, though, is to fish around. 
our tendency is to say, have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? What do you know about this? Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. Sometimes I feel as if we're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to say, what were you doing? I mean, I gave you a Bible. I said these things and you, what were you thinking? I mean, what, was it not clear enough? So clear. And so I ask you tonight to really meditate upon this. Resist the temptation to goss, gossip. Because think about it, gossip is sin. And if you gossip about somebody else's sin, what have you done? You've sinned and now you need church discipline. It's just a mess, isn't it? It's a mess. It's a mess. I don't understand how we can gossip, which is sin, about somebody else's sin and feel good about that. Matthew 18 has the answer. If we did this correctly, we would save so much heartache in the church. Think about it. How hard is it to restore a brother or sister when it's been splattered all over the church what they've done? Maybe they're sorry and, and, and they really are repentant and they, they, they were getting it right, but the gossip, the gossip made it tough on them. The gossip made it harder for them. The rumors made it harder. Some true, some false, but nonetheless... And then we kind of get this attitude, and again, this is arrogant. Well, they deserve it. They shouldn't have done it then. And again, I'm not, I'm not accusing any of us of that. I'm just saying this is the culture of church today. You'll see it in just a minute in Scripture. You will see it in Scripture. So 95% of church discipline is taken care of right here. Would you not agree? Maybe 96, maybe 97.3. being funny. Step one is honestly, that takes care of almost everything. I mean, I can't imagine... The need for step two, except for rare situations. In step three, oh my, hopefully never. In step four, whew, seems like a far stretch, but we'll get there in just a minute. So, so step one is, is, is key. It's key. If we practice step one, if we can get this entire congregation to practice step one, listen, nobody likes this conversation. It's a tough conversation, but if we go in humility with love, we will win our brother we will let me read it to you again and i'll go on to point two moreover if thy brother shall trespass against thee go and tell him his fault between thee and thee and him alone and if he shall hear thee thou hast gained thy brother problem solved hallelujah high five love you bro hey praying for you can't can't wait to see you in small group next week thank you so much man i really needed this Whew. i was about to really make a big mistake but thank you for coming to me thank you for confronting me Please, don't ever feel like you can't do this, bro. Oh, listen, and you too, brother. You come to me anytime. Hey, I love you. I love. It's done. Isn't that great? Step one. Two thumbs up to step one. All right, step two. Take two or three others with you. Take two or three others with you. Small group. More than just one. Look at verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two, one or two more. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may establish. Old Testament policy, if you will. Old Testament teaching, but still works. In the mouth of, of, of two or three witnesses, let every word be established, right? And so I'm going to take two or one or two people with me. I've got, now it's three. Potentially it's, it's uh, four people. It's me. It's one or two more. So one, two, three. So maybe three. And then I'm approaching one person. So it could be four people total. But it's still a very what? 
small. Still a very small circle. And I think that's the, second, the thing we need to understand is, is, is the goal is within these two steps to restore our brother. Keep the circle small. Keep it small. Let's protect, let's protect folks uh, if we can. Let, let's not let it get messy if we can. Let's help them. Let's restore them. Remember Galatians 6.1. We want to gain our brother. We want him to stay in church. We want him to repent of his sin, to, to turn from his sin and, and get right. Who do you take with you? Well, honestly, at this level, probably not the pastor most of the time. Maybe the small group leader, maybe. I would think that these two people would be somebody who you know, who you know loves that person very much. Not some stranger. Somebody you know that loves them. You know, I heard a preacher say one time, that no one would commit suicide if they really knew they had one person that really, really loved them. Well, if, if they wouldn't commit suicide if they had one person that loved them, what if they had two or three? <laughs> two or three. How sad would it be if there's anybody in our church that doesn't know three people that really love them? We probably got them in our church like that. They just don't know yet. But they're going to find out soon, amen? Because we love people. We're going we're to learn how to live in community in an incredible way. It's going to be fantastic. We're learning right now. So, so two or three. It, it doesn't have to, Pastor, can you go with me? It could, I, I'll go. I'll do that. And I think I, 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 think I, I know most people in our church, and I, and I love everyone in our church. But it doesn't have to be the pastor. It could be just two or three friends. But they must be spiritual, right? Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. So people that you know are, are maybe battling with sin in their own lives, but, but their, their lives are a testimony of the grace of God. Step number three, it widens a little bit, okay? First of all, it was just one-on-one, right? You with me? Private conversation, private correction. Then take two or three more. Number three, church admonition. Tell it to the church. Wow. Okay, this is really big because it goes from three to a thousand. (laughs) You know what I mean? It goes from this little small group to like this really big group, the church, the whole church. But you got to see this. you got to learn this. Stay with me. Please stay with me. Look at verse 17, first part. And if he shall neglect to hear them, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, wait a minute. Let, let's, let's, let's get this. That seems to get really large really quick, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, all of a sudden, it goes from one to three to a thousand. But I want you to look at verse 17 here. It says, tell it to the church. We've not, we're not making this person leave. There's no excommunication here. We're still helping him. We're still trying to get him or her to listen. We're still loving them. It's just, now it's, it's in a larger gap. It's the whole church saying, please, we love you. God loves you. Please repent. Please Love your wife like God loved the church. Please, don't, don't look at that. Don't, don't ruin the testimony of God, the church, your family. Whatever it may be, please, we love you. Please, turn from your sin. God loves you, whatever it may be. Now, the whole church is loving this brother who's struggling in sin. Wow. He's still with us. She's still with us. They're still with us. We're, we're just the last step it's the last ray of hope 
How long could a process like this last? I don't know, six or eight months maybe. I mean, it could be that step one takes a month or two. Step two takes three or four. Step four takes three or four months. I mean, this process is not quick. It's long. There's grace involved. We're hanging in there. We're, we're working with them. We're, we're trying. We're doing everything we can. 95% of it's handled with step one. But when it gets past step one, there's a lot of grace involved. There's time involved. There's healing involved. There's could be a second or third chance in some cases involved. I don't know. It depends on what the sin is. Nevertheless, you take it before the church. It's pretty clear. Think about this. In a loving assembly, reaching out in mercy and love to help this brother from, uh, be saved from disaster. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's a good church. That's a church that loves its people. Church discipline is not about legalism. It's about love. Step four. It's a tough one here, tough one to understand, but it's in the Bible. But, verse 17, if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen and a publican. Wow, that's strong language. Now, the way we've heard that in church history is the word excommunication. Sounds like such a horrible word. That is the word that, that's been used. But here, the Bible speaks of removing this person from church membership. This, the imagery here is, is to treat him like he is no longer a member. He is a brother. He's a, she's a sister in Christ. They're saved. But yet, when it comes to this point, when, when it reaches this level of unrepentance, and the Bible says... He's, he's treated not even as, he, as he's a brother. Treat him as a publican, as a, as a tax collector in some versions. Now, we need to understand this. Listen, church, this is not an option. This is a command from Jesus. To not obey this is sin because it's in the Scriptures. Now, okay, I'm with you. It's tough to understand. It, it kind of feels uncomfortable because it feels as if maybe what we're doing here is we're we're saying, oh, preacher, okay, you know, it just seems so much against the grain of, 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 of everyone coming to church and everyone feeling a part and everyone being in the congregation. Well, I, wanna, I want you to stay with me because you're going to understand what Jesus is teaching here. It's going to get really clear in the next 15 or so minutes as we close. Now, now, follow me here. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Would you do that? This is the last time I'll turn. Now, we'll look at some more on the screen, but I need you to turn to 1 Corinthians 5. Why would Jesus say what he just said? Why would, maybe you have that question. Pastor, why in the world would Jesus say, if he doesn't listen to the church, there could come a place where you would remove somebody from the congregation? A member of the church, now no longer a member. Why would Jesus say that? All right, let me tell you why he would say it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is a real letter written to a real church this is not a parable this really happened paul was writing a letter to the church at corinth are you with me now where was corinth well corinth uh, was a place that was stooped in idolatry it was a city that had churches it did have churches we know it had one right it had the church at corinth this was a city known for its sexual immorality, known for it. I mean, like Vegas is known for gambling, Corinth was known for sexual 
immorality. The whole town was full of trashy living. And so Paul writes a letter to a church. And I want you to, I want you to think about these words. Because this was really a letter. Now wait. They didn't have buildings like this back then. So it wasn't like I would get up and read a letter from someone. The church met throughout the week in small groups and houses and homes, different places. It was the church, but very rarely were they able to meet in large gatherings. <laughs> didn't have big, huge buildings. Every church was normally met from house to house. And so just so we can understand, let's, let's contextually put it in our day it would be like the small group leader like I have my small group on Wednesday nights at 5 o'clock it would be like me getting a letter from the Apostle Paul and saying alright guys I've got a letter here from the Apostle Paul and I'm just going to read it to you he wrote it to us and I haven't read it yet but I just want to read it and uh, so think about that picture you and I in a church reading a letter from the Apostle Paul that's, that says this it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now, I don't want to be graphic, but basically, someone was sleeping with his stepmother. Pretty gross. That was in the church. Inside the church, this had been going on for a long time. It was commonly reported. It was going on. It was in the church, and nothing was being done about it. And you're puffed up, verse 2. You've not even mourned that he that hath done this thing indeed might be taken away from among you. See, they knew what church discipline was. They knew what they should have been doing. They knew this unrepentant brother was continuing in sin, and they didn't care. Maybe in the name of grace, well, you know, he, he's just, you know, we love him and he's welcome here and we know he's got some issues, but that's okay, bless his heart. God says, that's arrogant, that's prideful. Tolerating sin, just putting up with sin in the name of grace. God calls it, look, you're puffed up, verse 5, 2, you're puffed up. Look at verse 3. For verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name, I love this, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this strong language. Deliver such a one to Satan whew, for the destruction of the flesh. Can you imagine reading this in church? Can you imagine this person hearing this in the congregation? <laughs> I mean, they're sitting there. They're in the church, sleeping with their stepmom. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow, this is being dealt with in the church. Strong, isn't it? Say, why haven't you ever preached this, Brother Eric? Would you like to preach this? <laughs> I'm glad I'm getting it over with. Amen? <laughs> no, it's great. Good Bible. Deliver them to Satan for the destruction of their flesh, that their spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, we're going to come back to that at the end. It's awesome. I promise. That is big-time verse. It's really, I know it sounds bad, but it's, it's really a good thing. 
Your glory is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven. Or in other words, get rid of that person. That ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not the company with fornicators or sexually immoral people. That's what that means. Sexually immoral people. Yet not altogether the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out into the world. Okay, that's an important verse because you know what Paul is saying here? Wait a minute, I'm not talking about sexually immoral people in the world, lost people. If you, if you were not to, to, to hang out with them or be with them, you couldn't walk outside your door. We just have to stay in our houses all day. So Paul is quick to say, yet not altogether the fornicators of this world verse 11 but now i have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one not to eat don't even eat with this person for what have i to do to judge them also that are without do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without God judgeth. Therefore, put away from you that wicked person. Wow. Notice the forceful language here. Verse 5, deliver him to Satan. Verse 7, purge him out. Get rid of him. Verse number 11, uh, with such a one, don't even eat. Verse 13, put away from you this person. Strong, isn't it? Wow, all there. The word of God is telling us that there is a point in the life, don't miss this, of an unrepentant brother. Are you learning something tonight? We're not talking about somebody that repents, somebody that, that, that says, listen, thank you for coming to me. I, I'm sorry, I, I, I want to get this right. I, I want to get this taken care of. I, I want forgiveness. I want to get right. This is not that person. This is someone who is unrepentant. And if he continues in sin, the church says, or God says, there, there comes a time, there comes a time when that brother needs to be removed. Okay? Now, why would this happen? Good question. Because again, it's, it's somewhat of an uncomfortable subject to talk about, but why would this happen? Why did God say, we need to address this in Scripture? All right, let me give you three answers from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Number one, you do this for the purity of the church. You do it for the purity of the church. We've got to keep the church as pure as we can. The bride of Christ. Amen? Listen, we are accountable to God. Would you not agree? Isn't that easy? Every one of us are accountable to God. God has saved us. We are bought with a price. We are not our own. We belong to God. Hey, God lives in this temple, right? This is the temple of God. But guess who else we're accountable to? I hope this doesn't shock you. We're accountable to each other. That's right. If you are a member of this church, listen, much of what I'm teaching is just raising the bar. It's just saying, wait a minute, church membership is not some silly little thing we do that doesn't matter. No, when you become a member of a church, you become a part of the body of this local assembly. And I care for you. I love you too much to let you continue in your sin. I love you too much not to go to you and approach you. You love me too much not to say, Pastor, I'm worried about you. I'm concerned. Could I talk to you, Pastor, about something that just God has told me to tell? I mean, you love me too much. We are accountable to one another. 
That's why the Bible says, let the, let the older women teach the younger women. Let the older men teach the younger men. We're accountable. We need to go to one another. In Matthew 18, confront your brother. And if you don't, don't tell me you love him. You're just going to let him continue and sin? You're going to tell me if your child was living in the world, he's 15 years old, and he's made some mistakes, you're going to tell me you and your wife are going to say, well, you know what? They got to learn sometime. I mean, I guess that happens, but that to me is hate. There's no love in that. Just let them go. They'll come around. You know, they're 15, 16. They got to learn sometime. I'm going after them. I'm doing everything I can. I love my children too much. Listen, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That's love. So great, isn't it? We're accountable to one another. Who is Paul confronting here in 1 Corinthians 5? Who is he confronting? Think about it. The church. If you're not careful, you'll mistake. You'll think he's confronting the fornicator. He's not confronting the fornicator. He's confronting the church. He's confronting you, me. He's going to the church. And he's saying, it is commonly reported among you. You, the church. This is happening and you're not doing anything about it. In other words, don't you love one another? Don't you care for one another? That's what I'm reading here. Listen, the church is being told they are disobeying God for the way they are responding to a brother. We're accountable for each other. We should grieve over one another's sin just like we grieve over our own sin. Question. Do you grieve over your own sin? Or is it just not really a big deal? Because I can tell you something I've learned. If you're casual about sin in your life, you'll be casual about sin in somebody else's life. You will. If you're casual with sin in your own life, you're going to be casual with sin in other people's lives. Let's be serious about our own lives. Sin is a big deal. A.K.A. 1 Corinthians 5. All right, church members are accountable. Number two, church members must be humble. We're coming to a close here. Listen to this. Please don't miss this. Church members must be humble. 1 Corinthians 5, 2. And ye are puffed up. I don't want to be puffed up, do you? I don't want to be puffed up. I don't want to be some arrogant church member. So the Bible says here, I'm, I'm, I'm puffed up if I am what? If I'm tolerant of sin. Let me put it to you like this. Being tolerant of sin is sinful. That's what the Bible says. You're puffed up. You're not doing anything about this. Pride is toleration of unrepentant sinners in church. We've got it all mixed up. We think that's grace. Oh, listen, we've got to show grace to these unrepentant sinners. Brothers, sisters in the church who, who, who are not repenting. They are continuing. No, that, that's pride. Humility is exclusion of an unrepentant brother or sister in Christ. That's humility. It's dealing with it. Wow. Now, even though Paul uses strong language here, I just want you to know something. It's not the only place in Scripture that Paul did this, just in case you were thinking Paul was having a really bad day. He woke up on the wrong side of bed, and he just got angry, and he wrote those verses. Let me show you some other places in Scripture that are just as clear. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. All right, next. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, 
and have no company with him. Why? That he may be ashamed. Next. Having a form of godliness. They look spiritual, but they deny the power thereof from such. Turn away. Next. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition. Reject him. Okay, well, deep preacher. And there's more. You see, church, listen, there is some validation here. There, there's some legitimacy here to being careful that we're dealing with sin in the church. Amen. Boy, I love it when we get things right, don't you? Get it. Let's get it right. We think it's humble to say it doesn't matter what you do. We think it's prideful to keep someone from, from, from joining or to remove members. That's prideful, but, but, but yet Scripture clearly teaches, no, no, that's humble. That's humility. Now, in closing, if by God's grace we are able to get this right, I'm going to give you the last thing. Church membership is essential. Well, I've got a couple more things real quick here, but let me give you the last thing under the purity of the church. Church membership is essential. This is so important. This is so important. Here's why it's important. Because in the New Testament, there is no understanding of a committed follower of Jesus Christ who is not a member, an active participator in a local New Testament body of believers. There, there is no such thing. In other words, if you are committed to Christ in the Bible, you are the, a member of a church. Amen. So church membership is essential. How in the world are you going to put yourself under authority to be corrected if you're not a member of a church when i join this church i am saying i i'm covenant i'm coveting if you will with you when i married my wife hey honey i'm gonna be faithful most of the time i may cheat on you four or five times not bad if we're married 50 years you gotta admit i mean 50 years of marriage and i slip up four or five times how's that sound yeah, I'm glad a few ladies are laughing. Some of you are not laughing because maybe you think I'm serious or something. I'm not serious. <laughs> no, when I married my wife, I said, that's it. One woman for one lifetime, for better, for worse, richer, for poor, sickness in the hell. I mean, this is it. I'm promising you. When I joined this church, I am saying, church, I am, I am becoming, I'm covenanting with you to live according to this book. And when I don't, help me. Help me. That's what we're doing. So Paul says here, you would remove some from the church for the purity of the church. Number two, for the good of the individual. For the good of the individual. Hey, listen, this is going to help that person. How could it help them, preacher? Well, look at verse number uh, five. Here's how you're going to help them. Deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Whoa. Deliver them to Satan? Yeah. Why? that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Do you know how many, hey, listen, would you not agree with this statement that God is sovereign over Satan? Amen. God can even use Satan. You say, you got something in scripture about that? I'll, I'll throw it on the screen real quick here. Second Corinthians chapter number 12. Look at this. Paul said this, lest I should be exalted of a measure though the, through the abundance of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, aha, Job had the same thing, remember, remember, Satan came to Job, Job had some 
issues with God and, 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 and God actually used Satan. And here again, God is, this messenger of Satan comes to buffet him lest he should be exalted above measure. But go on and read, it says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice and it didn't depart from me. And he said, listen, Paul, my grace is sufficient for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul finally said, most gladly, God, I will glory in my infirmities. God actually used, sovereignly used, Satan to help Paul get to the place where he could trust God more. And we may be able to help a brother someday if he doesn't repent of his sin. Hey, if it's me, if I'm that brother, God forbid, but if I'm that brother, I'll get more help if it's dealt with than if it's just swept under the rug. Amen? And the thing is, is we're hopefully never going to have to do this because guess what? We're going to practice step one. Amen? We're not just going to let, we're not going to gossip. We're going to go to our brothers. And we're going to do it like the Bible says we're going to do it. And then finally, for the glory of God. You confront a brother for the glory of God. You administer church discipline For the glory of God, look at this in closing. Paul starts off by saying in verse number five, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Paul says, church, you're doing stuff that doesn't even occur amongst the heathen. The pagans don't even do this kind of a thing. And you're doing it in the church. Not even the world condones what you're condoning. Church, we don't want to compromise the glory of God in this place. We want this community to know, amen, that this is a place of, 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 of believers who, who want to do what's right, who love one another, who confront one another. We are a place where when, when there is sin, it's dealt with. It's not something that's just excused or it's not something that's just swept under the rug. No, we love each other too much to do that. And the glory of God means too much to us. The testimony of our church means too much to us. We want others outside the walls of this church to say when they think of gospel light, those people love God there. They practice what they preach. Something different about those folks. When people make mistakes there, they love them enough to help them get things right for the glory of God. You know, I like what's happening in our church right now. God's doing some amazing things. Amazing. I hear things in our small groups right now that really encourage me. I mean, it's awesome. If you're not in a small group, again, I encourage you because it's cool. We had a great small group Wednesday night, I, I teach the, uh, I mean, anybody's welcome to come, but it might be awkward because mine is like 60 and over, you know. I've got somebody in my squad, small group that's 95 years old. They open up. They share. They testify. We got some great pe- gray hairs in this church, great people that, and I know the majority of them would come on Sunday morning, but these folks are they are so excited about the direction of our church and what we're doing and how we're moving forward. I'm hearing great things, and I love the unity at our church. I just sense that there's a great unity that's, that's it's just, it feels as if we're loving one another more, we're accepting the teaching from Scripture, 
even though it might be a little uncomfortable at first, and, but we're, we're, we're open to it, and I sense that everyone is really feeling a togetherness and a love for one another, and it's getting better. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. I, I tell you what, I like the volunteerism at our church right now. I just think people are like, hey, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to, what do you need, preacher? What do you need? Let, let me get involved. And, and, and that's happening. And I know, I know it needs to happen more, but I sense, I mean, I could, listen, the Christian school opens up tomorrow, and I put a lot of time in the Christian school this week. I probably put 40 hours of labor in the Christian school. But I tell you, I didn't do it all. I, I, I would make phone calls, random phone calls to people about, hey, could you help me? Could, could, you, could you come up here right now and help me carry this desk down three flights of stairs? Hey, preacher, I get off at 5 o'clock, I'll be there. It was awesome. Just, uh, my son, uh, this afternoon, I, I just left him a message. I said, hey, Mo, could you weed eat the, the, the playground? After church, he said, Dad, I got it done. That's good stuff, amen? It's just good. Chet, yesterday, hey, Chet, can you bring somebody to the airport? I got it, preacher, covered. Last week, you came to me, and I got to talk to you tonight after church. Hey, preacher, man, I got a car. I'll pick up some books for you. What do you need? That's happening all the time. It's awesome. I love it. The worship team. See these guys up here today? Two hours yesterday. Two hours of their time on Saturday. Two. You say, two hours? You mean it takes that long to practice? Maybe an hour and a half yesterday. Maybe, maybe we did better yesterday. I think we did a little better. But we, we were up here working hard because we really want to worship God as excellent as we can. You know, we want to we give you the best. We know this is one service a week for you. Isn't that great? And guess what? I gave them all steak dinners after. No, I didn't. I just said, see you tomorrow at 8.15. <laughs> Isn't that great? Our youth is on fire, man. I, I don't know what's happening with the youth, but I like what's happening. And I had a teenager call me. He said, hey, pastor. He said, man, God's really working in my life. You got any time to get together? <clears throat> this was a week ago. I was like swamped, you know. I'm like, oh, man. And so I said, well, brother, I said, um, what about Saturday? Unless it's like an emergency. He goes, Saturday will work. So I had a wedding to go to in Malvern, right? So he texts me at about 5 o'clock. And I forgot that I had told him it'll be late afternoon. So he's like, where are you? You know, right in my face, man. Confront your brother. Where are you? You said we'd meet. I said, man, I'm almost there. He, I, I go, where are you? He goes, I'm, I'm by your office. I said, look, let's go get a Sonic. So he loaded up in my van. We went to Sonic, and I bought him a, a drink and got me a drink. He said, man, this is cool, man, you know. I didn't know he was going to go to Sonic, you know. I said, I was thirsty. <laughs> he looks at me, he says, preacher, man, I want to be a leader. This hasn't happened in a while. I mean, this, I mean we've got good teenagers, but this, this, something is stirring. I want to be a leader this year. I want you to, preacher, I, I'd like to do some things. What do you think? How can I, how can I step out by faith and, and be an example to other teenagers? And I know I'm just 15 years old, but I want God to use me. I'm like, you go on, brother. Let's talk about that. Amen? That's, that's exciting. You talk about giving you encouragement, stepping into the pulpit on Sunday when you've, when you've talked to a teenager the day before that, that's just ready to tear it up. I could go on and on and on. I really feel like we're, we're making some great progress right now, gospel light. Hey, listen. Let's, let's, let's stay on this track. Let's stay on the same page. Let's... let's continue for a couple more weeks in this series and i believe when it's done and we give you this new charter and you read it study it and pray over it i think you're going to like it i 
think it's going to change the course of history for gospel life. Let's bow our heads, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed, and <clears throat> we'll have our worship leader come up, and a pastor will be up front here at the end. If you need to respond at all, we're going to sing one song and have our offering. and.